This is Amateur Logic episode 139 for January 2020. This episode of Amateur Logic is brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com, and by ICOM. New year, new savings. Check out the ICOM America website for current promotions on ICOM 7610, 7300, and 9700. Welcome to another action-packed episode of Amateur Logic. I'm George. I'm Tommy. I'm Emil. And I'm Mike. And it's good to be back with everyone tonight. This is our first show for 2020. Oh, it sure is. Yep. So we'll we'll have to see how the year goes. Hopefully tonight is no indicator, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, maybe it'll all work out right. Uh, we had a great New Year's Eve show, didn't we? Yeah, it was a, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. We had a few little technical things to work through, but but it was a great big time. I enjoyed it a lot. It was. You know, anytime we're doing a live show, we've got a chat room going on at the same time. You can join us there, amateurlogic.tv slash chat. Of course, if there's not a live stream going, it'll be pretty quiet in there. Yeah. If you're watching the live stream and you're not in the chat room, you're missing half the fun. And the question is, Mike? <laughs> Which half? <laughs> okay. Well, we might have to upgrade that to three quarters. Can we afford it? Uh, no, come to think of it. Uh, okay. <laughs> That'll put us over budget. <laughs> we may have to downsize. <laughs> yeah. Well, what have you been up to, Tommy? I've been playing around some of my Raspberry Pi stuff, and uh, anyway, I got a little video this evening shows something I thought was kind of interesting. Cool. Getting ready for the local ham fest too. Oh, that's right. That's next weekend here. What about you, Emil? Y'all've got a ham fest going on down your way, don't you? Oh, we do. It's the Sealark Ham Fest over in Hammond, Louisiana. It's tomorrow, and uh, you know I'm gonna miss it. Because I've been voluntold some tasks to do, but I hope everybody enjoys it and uh, gets to attend it. I always uh, like going to that ham fest over there. So, unfortunately, I'm missing it. Yeah, I know Don Wilbanks is going to be there because I talked to him Wednesday night. And he was asking if I was coming down. I said no, but uh, we were suspecting you would be there. So, uh, Don will have to... Uh, do the video representing there himself, I guess. Yeah. I used to go yeah. to that one a lot, several times. I've never been to that one. Yeah. I'm going to have to, though. Is it in the same place, Emil? It used to be in like a round Coliseum-type looking place. Yeah, it's a Southeastern's uh, college uh, campus gym, basically, or, or their student center, I want to say they call it. So, yeah, it's, it's still there. 
Oh, cool. Yeah, it was cool. a nice venue. What about you, Mike? Well, um, not a whole lot going on. I, I, um, at my wife's request, <laughs> I've been uh, reorganizing the ham shack and uh, cleaning things up. And, uh, and it's amazing what you find when you clean up. And uh, I went through my box of incomplete dreams and found some <laughs> some kits that were pers- partially assembled. And uh, one of them we're going to talk about uh, later on tonight. Well, cool. Uh, but I should should mention one other thing. I was on Twitter yesterday, and the poor folks out on the west coast of Canada, out in Vancouver, BC, they just got dumped on, um, and they're not used to having any snow whatsoever. And uh, some areas in the in the outside areas of Vancouver, I'm, I, I heard reports of up to a foot of snow, and people are posting videos of cars sliding all over the place. And one guy was was trying to clean clean off his sidewalk with a lawn chair. Because he didn't have a snow shovel. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess uh, a lot of people don't even have uh, snow brushes in their car to clean the snow off. So you can see where they kind of use their hands on the on the side uh, windows and doors, and they use the wipers for the front. But the the, the back of the cars are all covered in snow. <laughs> wow. So yeah, they're having it uh, pretty pretty tough right now. It's uh, really unusual for them to get that kind of snowfall. But it, it, you know, it can happen, and and this year it certainly did. Wow, you know that's that's one of those things we don't experience down here too much. And if you got dumped on here, it wouldn't mean the same thing. <laughs> the few times it does snow here, though, that's how we clear it off the same way with these snow scrapers right here. Yep. <laughs> yep. I cleaned it off with a brick on the windshield one time, but only once. Oh yeah. That didn't work out too good. Yeah, they were talking about that snow in the chat room a few minutes ago, getting me kind of worried. I got to go to Nebraska Monday, so I don't know what it's like up there. I haven't looked at the weather. Well, let's get on into it. I've got, uh, well, an email here that... An email? An email. And if any of you guys know the answer to it, or anyone in the chat room knows the best answer for this... uh, let us know because I, I I just wrote him back and said, you know, I got the same issue. This comes from Jay, KB0TS, and he said, Hi, George. I recently had the pleasure of trying to find a replacement for a small 5-volt, 100-milliamp wall warp power supply. The problem is knowing the correct size of the coaxial barrel connector, and as you know, there are many. You probably know which one is which, and maybe there is a guide, but it's hard to order over the net. Maybe a segment on how to know what is what. Cheers, Jay. Well, we're all familiar with these kind of power connectors. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I just wrote him back and I said, you know, I got the same issue. I just have to try them and see. I've got a big drawer of them where I collect them, though. Um I don't know. Do, do any of y'all know the the best way to size these up and figure out which one you need? I, I would. I'm not sure. I think I've got a. I haven't seen it in a while, but I used to have a a universal one of those, and it had uh, the different size connectors in it. Yeah. And they were marked, and I, I used to put those in there and see which one fit. But I didn't. Uh, and then you you know still you got to take a little bit of risk for the inside. Yeah, so well, being a little bit that's off. right. 
The, the Radio Shack had those, and there's still mm-hmm. some of those around from other companies. But, you know, red, green, or or yellow is not really an official size. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. Emil, you got any ideas? Well, I'm going to echo the sentiment I just heard because I've I've seen it where the barrel seems to be the outside, you know, part seems to be uh, some type of standard, but that inside, different widths, different lengths. They even swap the polarities, and man, you, I think we'd be hard pressed to find some type of standard there. Or I'm, I'm guessing there's a whole bunch of different ones. Well, you, you know, there are different sizes. You can go online to, you know, uh, uh, build electronics uh, parts distributor, and you can find the different sizes of them there. Rated for inner diameter and outer diameter, but they're all in millimeters, and I just don't know of a good rule of thumb. I was thinking perhaps if you had a set of metric drill bits, you might stick one in the inner there and determine what size that was, and then take uh, a caliper, your calipers from Harbor Freight, and measure the outer diameter, but uh. I, I don't really know. I'm going to have yeah. to try that and see well, if it... I, I do know from experience that, at least in the, the things that I have, the most common one is 5.5 by 2.1 millimeters. Almost everything I've, I own is that size. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I bought a pack of like 10 of them last time I ordered some because of that. And pretty I've made several cables with the same one. My daughter had a computer where the... Pro- plug got broken and I tried to find one locally and I didn't have any luck and the size turned out to be something like a 1.4 millimeter um, the only the only time I've seen that size before is on a cell phone I don't know if you guys realized it but we have the winner of a major award here it's one of our hosts <laughs> a major award oh. <laughs> George. A major award. Tell us about it, Emil. All right, yeah. So during the holidays, I was um, listening and tuning in to WTWW, and I heard that they were having a Christmas picture contest. So I went ahead, got festive, decorated my little shortwave listening station here in the uh, studio, and sent them a picture. Well, lo and behold... I uh, got an email back saying, hey, you're one of the winners of the contest. And uh, you can see there the station. I uh, had to put my my festive dogs getting his uh, tongue stuck to the pole there. Mm-hmm. And the uh, <laughs> back uh, left there, there's a, there's a pillow with one of our Weimaraners on it. And then some you know presents there. And then Mike, uh, I figured I'd honor the uh uh, Canada Dry Ginger Ale, which is always around for the holidays here. And uh, my little radio, my Grundig, that I picked up from Radio Shack quite a while back that I listened to their uh, station on. So I was surprised, and uh, I won a uh, subscription to the Ham Test Online, which is going to help me out with the uh, extra along with Ham College. <laughs> That's a very festive-looking shock there, Emil. Yeah, man, I, I had fun putting that together. Yeah. And, you know, just, just for the uh, the contest there, and I, I had my little QSO, QSO card with, you know, Ted Randall show there, so I put it all together and sent it on in and paid off. 
Yeah. Well, cool. Congratulations. Oh, thank yeah. you. Congrats. <laughs> this video segment is about the, it's still about the WinLink system. So last segment I was talking about VHF and its packet uh, or AX.25. Mm -hmm. uh, this time it's about the HF side and the two cheap protocols that basically, the, well, one of them replaced uh, Pactor, which was Winmore. Well, they, they came out with a new protocol and a lot of people are jumping towards that and their uh, gateway station. So I wanted to check it out from a client perspective where I'm the one sending emails using other people's gateway over HF. So check it out. Hey, George, Tommy, Mike, and Amateur Logic TV. As you guys might remember, a few segments ago, I've been spending some time with the uh, Winlink system via running a RMS packet gateway through local VHF uh, repeaters and AX.25 digipeaters that are in my area. Uh, while I was checking out or running the system, I noticed some settings in my system related to Vera FM settings. So that got me thinking, hmm, I wonder what's out there and what's going on with some new protocols. So I started up my uh, WinLink Express software here and noticed that when I pulled down the menu to open sessions over the internet or over the radio with it, there's some new modes here. Uh, I'm sure people have seen them who use this system, but I've never actually used them or um, checked them out myself. So I figured like, I'd do that here. Uh, I'm used to using the old, the cheap alternative to Pactor, which is Winmore. And I'm noticing that people are switching over to using this Vara variant of the pr a protocol. So let's check it out. So I got myself a test message ready to go here in my uh, outbox and I've also got the Winmore modem or T uh, sound card modem in this case set up and I've picked a station that's well within my range so let's give it a try And there's the test message received via my uh, regular mail account. 
So this time I have the same message. This time I'm using the Vara Winlink session using the uh, Vara TNC. Let's see how that one does. That's the same idea, just sending with the uh, Vara protocol instead. Sounds like it's got some pretty good uh, signal-to-noise ratio characteristics, or better handling than when more does, maybe. I'll have to read up on it. But uh, it does work in, in good Winlink fashion. They've uh, added yet another protocol for people to be able to uh, send stuff over. There are some claims that this one's a lot faster, especially if you have the registered version or if the other end has the registered version of this protocol. I'll have to check out the uh, characteristics and uh, read up on it some. We noticed it, so I figured I'd give it a try here. And looks so far, looks good. And of course, it also came through via Vara to my uh, normal email client. So all is well and a new protocol to use. So I did some checking and that rosmodem.wordpress.com link is the group's website EA5HVK's weak signal software that uh, has some more information about it it's claim it's a uh, high performance HF modem based OFDM modulation Vara modem ranks state of the art military grade technology to new and existing HF data it introduced Introduces a new standard of technology available for amateur commercial use. Amateur and commercial use designed for operations with single sideband. The bandwidth of 2400 hertz. And there's some information here about what to expect or uh, how it works. And just a little simple diagram. So I'll be reading up more about it, no doubt. And seeing if I can't uh, add some functionality to the station here or the gateways and here he's promoting really what it's uh, capable of 37,5 BPS symbol rate with 52 carriers he's got a little diagram of what that looks like and of course you guys just saw the uh, the modem in use I'm pretty sure that was at a lower speed over HF and 80 meters than what it's capable of but nonetheless 
lots of information out there about it. So, and, and I believe there's other programs and softwares that use the protocol as well. Some point-to-point -point chat or keyboard terminal type chat, as well as um, file transfer, other software. So, I have to check them out. But at least it's integrated now into WinLink and uh, seems to work fine. How can you go wrong with a cheap certified project? Okay, so yeah, you really can't. But it, <laughs> it, it, again, it's worth it's worth mentioning on that one that you know that station was 600 miles away from me in uh, Chicago or Illinois, um, and that was 30 watts, and he was pegging me at 10 over. You know, that's a great protocol for when you're in the affected area with no infrastructure trying to get messages out of your area. You know, packet is kind of local, right, with VHF, UHF methods, with even with repeaters. You're talking 70, 80 miles. But that one, you know, 300, 500, 600, 1,200, depending on band conditions, you can get a message out. <laughs> I need to play uh, around it, with that some. I've, I've, I've never used it at all. WinLink, have you? No. I, I really know. need to play with some of that. It looks pretty interesting. What were you saying, Mike? No, I was just going to ask Emil. I don't know uh, anything about that mode. Is there, uh, I'm assuming there must be some sort of error correction? Yeah, there's. I believe FEC uh, is built into it. So if you go to the... Um, the link I just posted in the chat room, Mike, um, and I believe I might have put something. I, I guess I'll have to send it to George and, and Tommy. But uh, yeah, there's there's quite a bit going on in that protocol as far as the establishment and the ramping up error correction and the ramping up and down of speeds depending on conditions. We got a problem. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's lots there's lots there happening, which is really awesome. And the 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 folks over at Wing, Winlink, or the I think it's the Amateur Radio Safety Foundation, they just keep adding more ways to get into that network, yep. which is I, I just find it fascinating. Always did. Cool. That's amazing, and uh, especially now with the uh, sunspot at a, uh, activity at a low, um, it's nice to be able to uh, still use HF or something, even though uh, sideband might not be the best mode to communicate with. Tommy. You are next on the email stack there, and this topic right here, this I can tell is near to your heart. It is. It's right over front in front of yeah. it. Yeah, what covering it up? What is this email about? Yeah, it's. Uh, <clears throat> we talked about this a while back um, when Radio Shack was kind of making a little bit of a resurgence or without. Right. The first one that opened up, at least I believe it was the first one, was the one in Keller, Texas, and I mentioned. Wanting to go when I was out there working. Well, one of our buddies, Rick, uh, KG5RJU, sent me an email the other day. It says, uh, opened in August 2019, closing in January 2020. Sad days. I went to buy a precision resistor Saturday and saw the 50% off sign on most of the Radio Shack branded parts. The manager said the owner was disappointed that the varieties of batteries... Uh, didn't sell well, including Marine Alarm uh, BU Automotive. He's opened a battery store only in the Metroplex and is closing the non-corporate Radio Shack store in Keller. 
Apparently, the local shop is bidding to purchase all remaining Radio Shack branded stock. Um, anyway, it said he bought, uh, went in to buy a couple of resistors, and he came back with about $90 worth of stuff, including a tram disco antenna for $20 and a bunch of components, plugs, switches, and LEDs. I uh, yeah. expect to be open for a few weeks as they reduce stock. If you travel to DFW for work, you may want to stop by for a stock replenish purchase. Well, you know, that's that's a shame. I remember when that uh, post came out about that mm-hmm. store. Yeah, and five months ago. Five months ago. It's a shame to see it gone so quick. Five months. You know, I don't think the owner really gave it a chance. You no. can't you can't open a business and expect to be setting the woods on fire that quick and you wouldn't think of uh, Radio Shack as a place to go to get your marine batteries. No, it's the last thing place I would go for it. Yeah. Well, hopefully somebody'll pick it up and But you know, if you look keep it going there. If you think about it, like every ham's got some Radio Shack stuff. Emil's picture uh he won his major award with. There was some Radio Shack gear sitting right there. He, everybody's got Radio Shack gear, man. Like Yeah. You do. I just I bought my wardrobe there. <laughs> hey, hey, Mike, didn't you say you had the same radio I had, this, this Grundig? Yeah, I think it's a G, G5. I'm, I've got two of them, actually. I've got, um, it's a bigger bigger one, more of a lunchbox size. And uh, I did a mod, oh, years ago to add a BFO to it so I could listen to sideband because it's only got uh, AM and FM on it. But, uh, Did you say, was it from Radio Shack? Because that's where I got this one. Yes. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Radio Shack used to be kind of like the dealer for uh, for Grundig and Eton in Canada. Um, uh, I think Eton ended up buying something about buying the rights to Grundig. or Anyway, it was sold under Eton uh, as well because they have an Eton label. In fact, the... There was a really sought-after uh, shortwave radio. Um, you've probably all heard of the um, the Grundig satellite series, the great big table radio. Yeah. Um, this one was even nicer. It had DRM and everything on it, and it was very modern-looking. I think it was a silver color. I've only ever seen it once, and uh, it was it was uh, made by Eton, and it may have been branded at, as a Grundig at some time. Hmm. Nice stuff. I, you know, when I first saw that uh, your radio there, Emil, I, I thought it looked similar to mine, which did come from Radio Shack. But mine is actually a Sanjian, and uh, it was kind of pricey back. It's a Radio Shack uh, brand. It's uh, yeah, yeah it's, rebranded. I think it's realistic. Maybe I don't yeah. remember. It was one of the Radio Shack yeah. trademarks. I had a DX three ninety two. I missed it. Yeah, yeah. I think it was what DX three hundred three or something. Yeah. I know what you're talking. About. Yep. Well, I've got an email here that uh, almost came from the Great White North. It came from our friend Dennis, who is in Alaska now. KO seven HRL. He moved up there not too long ago. I think within the past year or so. So he's Still getting his station set back up, but he said, Hi, George. Packing to move to Alaska, I remember running across a Battery of the Month club. 
I wonder if you remember the Lifetime Tubes. I remember them selling tubes. By the time I got there, uh, well, as far as working at a, a dealer store, we didn't carry the tubes, and I'm not sure that they still sold them at that point. But I remember they had tube testers and all. Uh, he remembers buying the tubes with a lifetime guarantee, and all you need to do is keep the box and the receipt. Take the tube back for a new one if it ever failed. Ask Tommy where he hangs out on DMR. He has IRLP node 3555 now. And he's also on Echolink. You can look up KL7HRO-L. I have one radio to keep on the TGIF network and one on the Brandmeister network. He says he's waiting on parts for a hex beam, which he hopes to have up soon. And he's going to get that hooked up to an IC7300 and an IC7610. And he will raise the tri-band comet for the 9700. That is some nice radios. Mm -hmm. All oh, current yeah. stuff there. So, uh, well, Dennis, good to hear from you. And there you go, Tommy. You can catch him on DMR. Yeah, that's where I hang out. I don't really hang out on there. I, I'm set up. I've got a little handy talkie, mm -hmm. and uh, I can get on there for my hotspot at home. But I don't usually take it when I travel. It just doesn't work very well when you're when you're traveling. Uh, yeah. But it, when I'm on there, it's usually like TAC ten or TAC three eleven, mm -hmm. I think. Well, he's One got a, a ninety seven hundred, so he could catch you on D Star. Yeah. D-Star would be uh, Reflector 30 most of the time. Yeah. I think it's time we take a quick break, get a message from our friends at MFJ, because we've got a lot more to go yet. Have you been wanting to experience the enjoyment of QRP operation with a compact, full-featured HF rig at an affordable price? Then you need to get your hands on MFJ's latest offering from Zygu. The G90 Portable 20-watt HF transceiver with built-in auto antenna tuner. This 24-bit, 48-kilohertz sampling rate SDR offers excellent transceiver performance along with a highly configurable operating experience. The built-in high-performance wide-range automatic antenna tuner means you can solve antenna issues and tune up quickly without additional equipment making this a truly portable transceiver perfect for backpacking or most any type of operation where lightweight and minimal gear are desirable. A 1.8-inch high-brilliance color TFT LCD screen on the detachable display unit lets you position the radio any way you like for comfortable operation. The screen display is rich in content, making all information clear at a glance, and the plus or minus 24 kilohertz bandwidth spectrum and waterfall display are unheard of in a rig this compact. And with the Zygu G90's function buttons on top of the control panel, all operations are optimized for ease of use. You don't need to set up various functions through menus, control all directly through the buttons and multifunction encoder. The high-performance front-end with narrowband ESC pre-selector covers 500 kHz to 30 MHz for single-sideband, CW, AM, and digital mode operation. Software-defined narrowband filters let you tailor the SDR receiver to reduce unwanted adjacent channel interference and noise. 
There's a variety of interfaces like the IQ output that allows you to interface with any external device that can handle baseband IQ signals, including sound card-based or PC-based applications. It's time to step up your QRP portable operation. Get all the details about the Zygu G90. Visit MFJEnterprises.com today. Thanks, MFJ, for sponsoring Amateur Logic here. Yeah, absolutely. That's a cool-looking little radio. It really is. For for what it is, it's it's it looks nice. Uh-huh. It really looks it, it, nice. It really does. I don't have any experience with it in the field. I've only played with it here, you know, in the shack. But uh, you say you, you might take it out in the yeah, field. Yeah, I wouldn't mind taking it out and kick some tires. Mm-hmm. See how it works out. I might yeah. do that. Cool. And, you know, George, I think we might have some of our uh, international viewers that uh, might have done that, which we might see coming up shortly. Uh, you know, you may be right. You could could be right. Well, for my segment this time around, I just wanted to show a, a little piece of free software here that I've been using in some certain applications that I just wanted to share with you because it's a pretty good solution for for doing what it is I'm doing. Free here. software? You're trying to give Emil a run for a lack of money? No, I've already turned email <laughs> on to free software this week. I, I turned him on to a piece of software he can he can use just last night. Cool. He could use this one if he wants to. Uh, but that that make yeah, it works great by the way, and it might make my uh segments look a little bit more like a pro did it. I might not be the cheap old man anymore. Well, you know, we were having issues with nausea, so I thought that maybe I would. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe that you could benefit from it because it, it works good, and you know. Uh, Thanks for the info, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so this, the reason I like it is because you don't have to know an IP address. You don't have to forward any ports and... You can use it remotely from just about any device on a web browser. Hmm. And it uh, you can actually run the uh, the host on a lot of different devices, or the server, if you want to call it that, on a number of different devices. Just, just take a look at it here, and, you know, might be something you could use. Might be. On occasion, it can be really convenient to remotely access a computer. Today, we're going to look at that. You probably already know about LogMeIn or GoToMyPC, one of those services. And those are great. They are subscription services, and they do cost you a little bit every month. So we're going to look at some that are free or really low cost today. And we might want to be able to control not just our Windows PC, but perhaps a Mac, or maybe even a Raspberry Pi. Now, with the Raspberry Pis, the operating system comes with Real VNC installed on it. It's Real VNC Connect, which is free to run on the Pi here. However, to get it on the PC where you've got a machine you can connect to this with is going to cost you a subscription fee. But if you've already got VNC, or if you want to use another VNC client like Oh, say, Tight VNC or Ultra VNC, those are still available free, and you could run them and use them to access your Pi that way. Or 
access another computer, whatever you want. We're just going to look at a Pi here because I happen to have one set up and it's convenient for us to use. This one is located, oh, probably 25 miles from here at a transmitter site. The internet there is not the fastest in the world. It is Viasat internet service that I have there coming over the satellite. So not super fast. However, it does work. That's the only thing I could get there as well. As I was saying, the Raspberry Pi comes with Real VMC Connect installed. This is that remote machine at the transmitter site. And you can see I have VNC running here, and that's how we're accessing it. That works great. However, you need to have some ports opened on your router so that you can get through and connect to this. You also need to know the IP address that you're trying to dial into. Sometimes you don't have those options. So what can you use instead? Well, as I mentioned, you know, go to my PC or log me in handles that perfectly because you don't need to know the IP address or set up port forwarding at that location. They have a lookup service that handles all that for you. There are other options available that are free or very low cost. We're going to look at one today, although I have VNC working here. If the IP address changed at that site, I would lose my connection. So what else could we do? Well, let's get out of VNC here. There is a service that's out there now. It's free. It's been around a while. Uh, there's also, I believe, a subscription service available. It's called dwservice.net. Here's the website. You just go on, uh, create a login. Once you have done that, you can download the software. And there are several versions here. It's not just Windows. You've also got the option to get installs for Linux, Mac OS, Pine64, Wandboard, or the Raspberry Pi, which is what I did here. I installed it on that Raspberry Pi we were just looking at, and I went through the steps to configure it to run automatically every time that Pi boots up. Now I'm going to log in, and this is the screen we're presented with. I'm logged into the dwservice.net server into my account, and I see I've got the choices here of agents, shares, contacts, groups, analyze events, or my account. Let's go into agents, and you'll see here that I have two different machines set up, both of them happen to be Raspberry Pis, on this account. One of them currently is unavailable. It's offline, and yes, I know it is, because rather than that Pi being out at the transmitter site, it's sitting on my workbench over here right now. Here's the other one that is online that we just looked at with VNC. It is available, so let's just click on it and log into it. It takes a moment because, as I mentioned, we are on satellite internet at that location. Once it's logged in, we've got some choices here. We can choose files and folders, and that's going to bring us up an explorer-type view where we can look at the various files that are on that system, and we can upload and download to it. 
You have the choice also of a text editor, a log watch, which I have never used. You can look at the resources of that pie and tell how it's performing. Here we can see this one is a one gigabyte pie. It happens to be a 3B plus at that location. We're using 49% of the memory. 51% is available. Right now we're using zero CPU. Or there's 1%. So not very much. And you can see I've got a lot of space available here. Almost 24 gigs on the 32 gig micro SD card that's installed in that unit. We can also see other information here like the tasks that are running on it or the services. So that can be pretty handy if you're remotely troubleshooting something. And then we've got the option here for a shell. We can get a command prompt here on the Pi and execute shell commands right there. But then the one I'm really interested in here is screen. We click there and we get the desktop of the machine. Just like we had a moment ago with VNC. I did not have to enter an IP address or set up any port forwarding at the router where this machine's located to be able to access it. I simply installed the dwservice.net software on it and logged in. And dwservice.net handled the rest. So here we go. We've got our machine. We can go in and do everything we would do just like we were sitting in front of the Raspberry Pi. This is mighty convenient to do. It can save me a lot of driving between sites and allow me to check on things that um, otherwise I might not get to check on till the next visit out there. Now, in my experience, it's not quite as fast as using VNC where you've got a direct connection from one machine to the other. However, it is fast enough to get the job done and you know it's going to work because you don't have to worry about the IP address or port forwarding. And you don't need any special client software to access a computer that's running DW service. Just fire up a web browser and log in. You can do it from a Windows machine, a Mac, a Raspberry Pi, an Android, or an Apple device like I'm doing right here with this iPad. So there you go, a good free resource for your toolbox, dwservice.net. Check it out. What do you think? That's pretty nice. Uh, it's cool that it works off the Raspberry Pi. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking about some of the digital stuff I've been tinkering around. The with. one you can't remember what, the, what it's <laughs> called one. right now. Yeah. That one? Anyway, I've had some of the digital stuff I've been tinkering around with my, on my Pi. It'll be yeah. coming up in the next segment or two. I'll be able to use it from remotely. Oh, is it a remote Rick device? Pie. Rick Pi. Yeah, my Rick yeah. Pi. Okay. Cool. Well, I don't know. What about the peanut gallery here? Are you all familiar <laughs> with that one? I have not heard of that one before, but that's uh, that's pretty cool. I'm going to have to check that out in more detail. Yeah, and I tell you what, George, you got me wondering what the uh, wand board was. I was looking that up when, when you mentioned what they support. Looks like it's a, a Debian uh, little computer uh, or baseband uh, computer. Oh. Um, Baseboard, sorry. Wand board, though. They called it wand board. I, I had to go look that up. 
Yeah, I'm not really familiar with that one. The thing I like best about this service, and I don't use it for everything. I've just got it, you know, on a couple of pies that are at transmitter sites right now. But is the fact that it'll run on, you know, the server will run on all those different platforms and a client. All you got to have is a web browser, so you don't even have to install anything. You can be at a computer you've never been at before, and if you need to access that, you know, you can just log in with the browser. and Yeah, that's pretty and, nice. And yes. Uh, there's a question in the chat room from N7XGR. He's wondering if it supports audio. I, You know, I am not positive. I don't think it does, but... I can't rule it out. I'm I'm not sure. Don't believe it does though. Uh, but you can go to dwservice.net and and check it out there and learn more about it. Yeah. For cool. for what it does, you know, really nifty piece of software. There's others too that, you know, like I said, it's basically similar to log me in or. Go to my PC or Team Viewer, except this one you don't have to have a client, just a web browser. That's really that's really cool. Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna check that out. And and because it's a client, you don't need to open ports either. Right. Right. Is that the one you use to uh, turn the internet on and off with, George? Uh, <laughs> one of those. You might have noticed something sitting on the desktop there that looked like, yeah, maybe you could turn the Internet on and off with it. <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, that one was the one that I reboot the Internet with. I knew you were in control. I knew it all along. <laughs> <laughs> well, email, you've got a post here to tell us about that uh, came from, was it Facebook? Yeah, it was uh, uh, over, I believe it is, uh, Dublin. Or uh, I think he must have been on the trip. Uh, anyway, OZ4PAT, uh, George Dolan, was uh, showing this picture of uh, his Zygu, the one you just showed, I believe, from MFJ. Um, and uh, he was operating it from uh, the, the mountain, the Dublin mountains, as he says. And I, this post just struck me. I mean, the, the scenery of where he was was pretty awesome to me. There's a stream there, and something I noticed about the radio itself, um, just from his acoustic audio, it sounds like it has really good audio from that, that little box. And I, I think it's a 20 or 30-watt radio or something like that. Um, so it kind of piqued my interest. Not only the site he was as, as you know, one of the international uh, watchers and listeners here, um, from Dublin, but it, it also seemed like a pretty good uh, QSO that he was monitoring there. And so I was just kind of struck by the scenery of this post. And it, yeah, George, it was a Facebook post uh, from George Dolan, uh, OZ4PAT. Yeah, it's beautiful over there. Yeah. You've been over I, there. I was beginning to forget what the green stuff looked like. <laughs> yeah, y'all don't have it up there this time of year, do you? Not, not much. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell me what's your next one there. Well, I got one that actually got forwarded through you. Um, anyway, it says, uh, I found this 
It came to you, actually. A high Georgia found the son walking through the tiny town section of Merrick, New York. And you asked Tommy if a squirrel is really innocent. Sign Ken, W2REZ. And they're not really that innocent in my neighborhood. I just know that. But uh, <laughs> actually, we've kind of made a truce. So. This kind of comes from a long time back when I used to have a lot of trouble with the squirrels chewing my rope that's holding my yeah. antenna down. But I haven't had any trouble with that in a long time, so we kind of got a little truce going on right now. Well, that's good. So, that's but anyway, good. yes, it was pretty funny. <laughs> we, we used to have trouble with squirrels at our work. Uh, we had a, uh, squirrels would jump across from a tree to uh, one of the um, hydro poles and uh, would bridge and um, short circuit and blow the fuse. And uh, this had happened about, oh, three times in a row and i finally uh, suggested that when they came to replace the fuse the hydro company that they trimmed the trees and uh i think i have a picture somewhere of the poor the poor fellow was was a crispy critter at the base of the pole oh, all the hair was singed off of it and everything else oh yeah that happened at huntsville ham fest uh a year or two back oh, i don't really? know exactly when we were sitting in the hotel and all of a sudden everything went dark and there's a substation like across the street from it there and a squirrel got tangled up and uh in the wrong pair of wires oh wow and, yeah set Poor the whole squirrel. thing down yeah probably never knew what hit him though hey, hey we still got a good bit to go but first a message from one of our fine sponsors icom new year new savings Bring in the new year loud and clear with some of ICOM's most innovative products. Check out the ICOM America website for current promotions on ICOM 7610-7300 and 9700. Start the year off right with the high-performance IC7610, a direct sampling transceiver that will change the world's definition of SDR. It has the ability to pick out the faintest signals even in the presence of stronger adjacent signals. RF Direct Sampling System, 110 RMDR, independent dual receivers, and dual digicell. With the IC7300, ICOM is changing the way entry-level HF is designed. High-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. RF Direct Sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. The IC9700 was built with a VHF-UHF weak signal operator in mind. Faster processors, higher input gain, higher display resolution, and a cleaner signal. ICOM's IC9700 is the pinnacle of perfection. 4.3-inch color touchscreen, dual watch operation, and full duplex operation in satellite mode, real-time high-speed spectrum scope and waterfall display, voice recording playback functions with SD memory card, supports CW, AM, FM, single sideband RIDI, and D-Star DV and DD modes. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information and current promotions on ICOM 7610, 7300, and 9700. You've got a segment here on something about involving a pie. Yeah, yeah, I got some new Raspberry Pi 4s a while back. We talked about them, and I haven't done very much with them, so try to put check the speed out and see what the difference was between it and the 3. 
Hmm. Will you share that with us? I sure will. The Raspberry Pis have been out for quite a long time, and you've seen us do a lot of things on the show here with them. They're a lot of fun. They've kind of changed the way people experiment, the way people do computing at home. Uh, it's put it, computing within the reach of people, you know, that can't afford some of the higher-end machines. $35, and you can get a Raspberry Pi and plug it into a, a monitor or a television set and get a keyboard, and you're in business. Now you can see the hardware is a little bit different. Let's take a closer look. If you look at the four, you've got actually two micro HDMI ports now. Um, so you can have dual monitors with this one. You've got a USB-C port, which is actually the power connector. It requires a little bit more power than the other one. We've got the same headers here for the camera and stuff. And then we've got the GPIO pins, just like before. As I mentioned, the network cable is on the right. USBs are on the left. If you look at the left side there, you've got black connectors for some of the USB ports, which are USB 2, and blue connectors for the other set, and those are USB 3. So if you think back a long time ago when the Pi 1 was out, I tried to make a network-attached storage out of mine. It worked okay, but it was a little bit slow. USB 3 is pretty fast, so you could make a pretty nice network-attached storage out of this little device and a USB hard drive. So if you need network-attached storage, that's something to think about. The old tutorial I did should still be valid for this, but we may revisit that sometime in the near future and do some benchmarks on it. What I've done is I've got a brand new Pi 4. Uh, I've got two of them, actually. The 4 gig one is running right here, and that's what I'm going to be testing with. It's in a little case with a cooling fan on it because it gets a little bit warmer than the other ones when you put a load on it. And then I've also got a 3 on the, across the room with the same type of case with the same cooling fan on it running at the same speed. I downloaded Raspbian, and I burned it to two cards, fresh installs. I put all of the updates on it, and I updated the kernel or the firmware for both the Raspberry Pis. And so we're going to start off and do the same test we did back in episode 89. If you think back about back then, that's when Peter did a spoof about the Raspberry Pi 4. Um, it was intended to be funny, uh, but some people got their hopes up about it. Well, the real Pi 4 has been out for a little while now, so I'm just kind of getting around to doing this test. We're going to run the same benchmarks we did previously, and I'm going to say it. Same thing I said before. One quick word about my benchmark here. I realize that it's flawed. This is not the ultimate test of the processor power of a computer. The tests are flawed. It's not intended to be a thorough benchmark. It's just a high overview. The Pi 4 is supposed to be able to be a desktop replacement type computer at a very low cost. So there's a Raspberry Pi 4 with one gig of RAM on it. That's about the same price as the Pi 3. But then there's also a 2 gig version and then a 4 gig version. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and use the 4 gig one because I've already got it in my case. This is a $79 little computer, which is still very cheap. We're going to try and see how that fares. There'll be a little bit of overhead for VNC, but it's going to be close enough to tell it's a difference because they're both running the same versions of VNC connected to the same computer. And I think they run the same resolution. So the Pi 3 is named Friday. Let's go ahead and connect to it. 
and there is it. And I've got the Pi 4 named Jarvis, same as uh, I've always used for it. So let's go ahead and check the CPU and double check. So if you're curious about which CPU you've, you've got, you can do cat uh, proc slash CPU info and it'll tell you which one you've got. I've got a Raspberry Pi 3 Model B Plus Revision 1.3. Let's do the same thing on the other one. Cat proc CPU info and you can see this is my Raspberry Pi model Pi 4 Model B Revision 1.1. Now like I said there are two or there are actually three versions of this a 1 gig, a 2 gig and a 4 gig and if you want to know which one they are you can check this the revision is C03111 the 2 gig would be B and the 1 gig would be A with the same sequence after it so that's how you can tell easily if you're not sure I've got a little notepad here with the same command that I used to benchmark and I'm going to just copy and paste that in here. So let's do this. And let's run it on the 3 first. We're calculating pi out to 5,000 places. The time command here is basically going to tell us how long the rest of this command took to operate. And it took 1 minute, 5.3 seconds. Let's try the same thing for the pi 4. And let's let it go. Incidentally, uh, the last time I did this, Peter asked if this uses all the cores. And these are four core processors on there, but it, it does not. If you look up here at the top, you can see it's only using 25%. That's why I say the tests are flawed, but it does give you an overview of how fast the uh, new board is. If you want to run this test on your own, you're going to need to install the BC command or the command line calculator and you just do that by typing sudo apt-get space install space bc and it'll install for you and then you can do the same thing if you like okay there is a difference 38.1 seconds on the pi 4 and one minute five seconds on the pi 3 in the last one we ran the octane benchmark so let's go ahead and copy the link to that. Copy and let's run Chrome on the Pi 3. Let's do it first. And we'll paste that in there and hit enter. We'll click run. And I'm not going to touch anything while this is executing. So I don't want to weigh the results. But if you look at the CPU up there at the top right, you will see that it's using more than just one core. Now this really is probably a better test than calculating pi but again like i said before there is something kind of poetic about benchmarking a raspberry pi by calculating pi on it so i could not resist that okay finished 3201 is our result on the pi 3 so now let's try the 4 let's copy the url again and let's try it on this computer And let's start. Again, I'm going to leave the mouse alone. 
This one does seem to be going a little bit faster. And again, you can see in the top right corner the CPU graph that we are using more than 25% than of it. Okay, it finished. 8,372 to 3,201. You can see that's over 100% faster than the Pi 3. That's quite a bit of difference. Okay, so for one last test, I want to go to YouTube. And let's find something to play, and let's see how it plays video. Here's our last Amateur Logic. There's some more Raspberry Pi there. You can see we love Raspberry Pis on this show. That's actually with VNC running also. Hope you found this interesting. I thought it was interesting myself. I, I knew it was going to be somewhat faster, but I didn't realize it was going to be over 100% faster. So anyway, we'll see you next time. 73. That's a pretty good bit faster than the 3. Yeah, I see that. Let's get on into the emails again here because I've got one more, and I believe... Well, I believe you've got another one, too, Tommy. But I do have another one. Another one. My first one here is... Uh, who did this come from? Donald Glover, KC9ZMY. And he said, I just wanted to thank you, Tommy, Emil, and the whole crew for a wonderful New Year's Eve. I always marvel at the high production level you're able to achieve. <laughs> I'm not sure he's talking... Was this to me? So you got the right show. Yeah. So I just wanted to say thank you and tell you much. I appreciate the team. Isn't it time we reflect back on 2019 and our old pal, the it, hat? It is. I got a. This is actually a tweet. We actually we are on Twitter, although we don't talk about it very much. I do. I monitor it a good bit. I just don't post very much. But this is from my friend um, John. K2BAG says, uh, Happy New Year 2020 from K2BAG and the Amateur Logic Hat on the Road. The link below is the collection of the 2019 Hat on the Road. And as you can see, that hat has got, <laughs> it's got a some lot miles of on miles. It. Yeah. It's been all over the place to Vegas, to Dayton, to. You name it. I think, uh, was this the year that they went to uh, Japan? Yeah. Uh, was it this year? I think maybe, yeah, it was. The hat. It's awesome. But, uh, John represents very well with the hat. He actually, the hat got away from him in Las Vegas. So if you notice, this hat, this is hat 2.0. So right at the end of the year, he's got two more hat pictures that he added. Um, but anyway, that hat had a lot of miles on it. I'm sure, uh, I know I would have been upset if I had taken it that far and then end up losing it somehow. Well, you can see the hat got off on its own in Vegas, that that mm -hmm. could be an issue. Well, what ha you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, including the hat, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> but anyway, thanks for posting all those, John. That's really cool to see those. So you, you've probably seen a few of them before, but there's some on there that we haven't shown. Yeah. Well, Mike has got a project he is working on here. We're going to come back and talk about that in just a moment. But first, you know, we're, we're starting 
a new semester at Ham College. Yes, sir. We sure are. And this this is just to kind of get you warmed up right here because it's gonna it's gonna get rough. It's we're going to the extra. <laughs> Don't scare them away. Well, you know, we're we're gonna take it easy on them. We'll let them look at this promo of earlier episodes. At the end of each month, it's Amateur Logic's Ham College, the new show for those new to the hobby and those wanting to get into amateur radio. Which of the following is a purpose of the amateur radio service as stated in the FCC rules and regulations? That inductor and capacitor form a tuned circuit. That's how you tune the radio to the frequency that you want. The English language. We lived in town. I liked it. I, I listened to mine a lot. It was really cool because you didn't have to have a battery to power yeah. them. There's our homemade telegraph station. We can use it for long-distance communications. Oh, like, uh, what, three feet yeah, here? across the table. The answer is B. Voltage was named after Italian physicist Alessandro Volta. We can see we're generating a little bit of electricity there. It's DC. It's always great to go back and get a refresher. It well, sure is. A lot of that stuff, if you've been a ham for a while like we have, you, you don't really think about a lot of that stuff that often. They didn't have electric screwdrivers in those days, so that's why we're not using one. That's why we went stores. primitive with it. Yeah. So let's see if we can hear anything when we, uh, we fire off our spark gap transmitter. Well, we didn't build anything or blow up anything today, but uh, the night's still young. Mike, what are you working on up there? I know you've you, you were to the box of what? What was the name of that box you had? The box of unfinished dreams. <laughs> okay, I love the name I, of that. I discovered how full that box was. In fact, that box actually spilled over into another. Well. It, it didn't all fit in the box. Let's let's just say that particular kit that I've been working on is this uh, Ultimate Three. Uh, 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 it's a Whisper transmitter, and it's 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 nice nice that it's uh, the way it's built is it's all modular and the boards kind of stack. So uh, typically the kit comes with uh, one filter. Uh, but this is a sequencer, and we'll switch between six different bands. Uh, the, the one built in, or the one that's on the board, and then there's uh, up to up to uh, five additional ones that that plug in. And um, what I wanted to talk about are these these little low pass filter kits. Basically, they come with a little board and uh, a little circuit board wire, three toroid cores. And a couple of capacitors, and they're the uh, the NPO for uh, temperature, so that they don't uh, they don't drift too much. The biggest problem I think a lot of hams have is counting the number of turns. Like, how do you count the number of turns? And it's it's actually very easy um, because you count one turn for every time it goes through the center of the core. So every time the wire goes through the center, you count that as one turn. Um, and winding clockwise or counterclockwise doesn't uh, doesn't affect this uh, for this particular one. So this one I built um, for 10 meters, and, and uh, that's that's a thing you want to um, make sure you, you indicate which bands you built for, because otherwise you have to go back and count the number of turns. That chart tells you um, basically how many turns of wire is required on each of the toroid cores. So if you look at 
L1 and L2. It tells you, um, uh, I've got the uh, 12 meter band highlighted and it tells you how many turns are required on each of the toroid cores. So I bought this, this little, uh, inductance capacitance meter for about $20 on, on eBay. And, uh, it's, it really gives you a, a good peace of mind for if you've wound the toroids and you can count the turns, but it's really nice to be able to tell what the actual uh, inductance is of the coil. And one, one other thing I should mention, too, um, when, you, we, when you verify the number of turns that you've made on your, on your uh, coil, so you can fine-tune them by spreading them or compressing the, the windings once you've got your correct number of turns. But it's, uh, it's kind of nice to be able to hook up something like this I just happen to have a couple of commercial, uh, commercially made um, uh, inductors. Um, this one's actually a one microhenry inductor, 1.093 microhenries, and uh, the the rated value is one. Um, so it's it gives you it gives you pretty reasonably uh, good accuracy. Uh, here's a hundred. And you can see it's 100.3. Anyway, I know we don't have a lot of time, and, and hopefully I'll get more of these made, and we'll show you the uh, kind of the finished, the finished product um, with the uh, Whisper transmitter. Um, the problem I had was, and I'm using this as an excuse, <laughs> I, um, I bought originally the kit, and then it's like, oh, there's this five-band sequencer, and with the state of bands being what they are today, I thought, oh, uh, it might be a good idea to have them cycle through the various bands and 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 uh, watch the propagation that way. And then then that led to this little guy here, which is another add-on, uh, which fits it all into a nicely nicely made uh, extruded aluminum case. This is a five-watt uh, amplifier. Uh, board because the uh, not the nominal output of of the unit itself is only about 150 milliwatts. So uh, with the bands being what they are right now, um, you know it makes it kind of challenging to, to to even see your signal coming across on on whisper. But um, hopefully I'll have more uh, more segments on on this as I uh, progress with the rest of the build here. Thanks for sharing uh, that glimpse. Into the box of what is it? Unfinished dreams. Unfinished, yeah. unfinished dreams. <laughs> two, okay. bo- two boxes. We we look forward to the next visit there. I can see this is going to be uh, this is going to be a good series here. Yeah, I'm intrigued by the kit that you've got there, the uh, whisper kit. Oh, I'm gonna have yes, to look that up. Something like that. I, I want something like that that I can take on the road and do things while I'm gone. I get so bored sitting in the hotel i've got my d-star stuff and that's fun i just mm-hmm. kind of want something else like the zygu or the icom 705 when that's available something be kind of fun to tell oh yeah yep certainly will well email a while ago we got out of order on the post that you were talking about tonight but i think i've got the one that you were mentioning in the queue now, if you want to cover it. Uh, I do, you know. And like like I was saying back then, you guys were mentioning my uh, most excellent video prowess on my video, giving you nausea. Well, <laughs> uh, I think you must have returned the favor because these videos 
you posted on our Facebook uh, forum about the uh, antenna guys who changed out uh, TV, a television transmission, I believe, uh, transmitter. Just I, I have the hardest problems <laughs> looking at these things without looking away or getting the heebie-jeebies, as I call them, and uh, all kind of issues, man. I, I got to hand it to these guys. You know, the title of the video was uh, Fearless Crew Works Above uh, the Clouds. And I don't know. When that when that clamp right there let go and, and it, you realize that wasn't supposed to happen, I would have probably jumped off the thing. You know, those guys are all shoved up on top of there just looking down, what is it, thousands of feet or a thousand feet or so. I forget how tall it was, but wow. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that. And I, I think from reading the posts a little bit, George, you said you used to do some tower climbing. Yeah, but the highest I've ever been is 400 feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm that's not like going a there. Free thrill <laughs> ride right there. Yeah. I mean, well, I get queasy. I get queasy over much over 40 or 50 feet. Um, that's that's something. I now, did you? Was that was that free climbing, George, or? Um, was uh, there like uh, an inside ladder arrangement on that tower? Well, I've been 400 feet a couple of different times. And one time it was a self-supporter tower, so it kind of tapered up. But there was no ladder. But I, I did get on the inside and, you know, climbed on the rungs in there. And, yeah, it... Uh, I only ever climbed that one once. The other one was a, a television tower, sort of like this one here. I think this one, I've forgotten how tall they said it was, somewhere in the 1,500-foot range, I think. And there are elevators. In most towers above 1,000 feet, there's an elevator in there. And the, the one other one that I was on was a 2,000-foot tower, and we rode the elevator up to 400 feet and got out there and worked on a microwave dish. Um, you take a joy ride the rest of the way up since no, you were there? No, I didn't. And no, it doesn't go all the way to the top. You have to get off and climb the, the last hundred oh. feet. And then the antenna's sitting on top of that. It's, you know, no, but once you frequency. get to 1,900 feet, the other 100 feet really doesn't matter. You don't notice You're much difference, I don't think. So, one of the other things that struck me about that video, George, was the fact that. I want to say they said the antenna itself, the replacement antenna. I saw they had to remove the old one, and then they replaced the it. They replaced it. Um, did I read right that this antenna weighs a ton? Yes, that was a that was a UHF. It was kind of lightweight compared to some of the low band VHF antennas. That lightweight. Yes. Well, Tommy, that's pretty hard on your body, I'm sure. Oh yeah, be in pretty good. Those shape guys are in good shape, though. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say you probably got to be in pretty good shape to hang up there. Yeah. Assuming that you, because I don't think they're around anymore, at least not the wardrobe department. Assuming that you couldn't come up with a good Radio Shack T-shirt or a red, white, and blue stars and stripes a deer antler shirt. What would be your next best choice? You know, what well, would you? I'd probably go to the uh, amateurlogic.spreadshirt.com and get me some amateurlogic or ham college swag. You would do that, wouldn't you? I would. Yeah, absolutely, I would. I've done it before. I'll, I'll do it again. What if you just like had a, a powerful thirst? 
Well, you could get a cup. <laughs> oh, like a yeah. AmateurLogic.tv <clears throat> mug. Yeah. Cool. And a couple other things we want to mention on the way out the door. Of course, we always uh, mention our social media networks because, well. Because we're the social people. That's just the way we roll. <laughs> <laughs> you can check us out on Facebook.com slash group slash AmateurLogic.tv or. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at AmateurLogic. Or. The groups.io. Uh, email, I don't know what it's called, reflector at uh, groups.io slash g slash amateur logic. Or? Yeah, I was putting him on the spot. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you did. That's okay. You did. And, and I've got my Skype screen minimized, so I can't even read it. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, there is no. The last, one, the last one was the groups IO in yeah, the last yeah. year on that. There, there on wasn't the another one. He was pulling your leg. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Google Plus, which is no more. Yeah, that's true. Sadly. Yeah, if you're living in the past, go to the Google Plus group. <laughs> in the in the way past. I think that's pretty much going to be a wrap. So before we get out of here, I'm looking forward to seeing some of you next weekend at the Capital City Ham Fest here in Jackson, Mississippi. You'll be there too, won't I you? I will be there. And uh, so join us there if you're in the neighborhood. Uh, Tommy, any final parting thoughts from you? No, just hope to see some of you there. If you if you come, wear uh, some amateur logic swag if you've got it. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if you don't, be sure and, and stop stop us if you see us walking through and say hi. Yeah. Email. All right. Well, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. So everybody, stay safe and safe travels if you're going up there. But uh, other than that, stay warm, Mike. And others out there, and uh, I think I think that's it. Keep it cheap. Keep it Keep cheap. Keep it cheap. That's what? a T-shirt. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll be shoveling tomorrow. Um, we're supposed to get an overnighter, and it's supposed to dump about uh, uh, 20 centimeters of, uh, of white stuff. So um, we're under a, a, a warning right now, actually. So wow. But uh, I just had one more thing to add. You know, as you were talking about the lifetime tubes from Radio Shack, Mm -hmm. I remember those. And uh, the reason I remember them is because they had gold-plated pins on the bottom of the tube. Oh, wow. I wish I could find a picture of it. But, uh, yeah, I remember the gold-plated pins they had on the the tube. So that's probably why they, they were a premium and why they could offer a lifetime uh, warranty on them. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, Check us out again next month around the middle of the month. At the end of the month, join us at Ham College. We'll be shooting the next episode. It'll be our first episode going into the extra exam. Yep. Come join us and uh, hear the buzzer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There will be plenty of that. If you want to see us uh, scratching our heads and trying to figure it out, because it's been been a while since I took that. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. So your time's coming. All right. 7-3. 7-3. Thanks, everyone. 7-3.
Well, email, you've got a post here to tell us about that uh, came from, was it Facebook? Yeah, it was uh, our fearless leader on Facebook, you. <laughs> and the uh, speaking of nausea, when you guys were talking about my uh, video, my excellent video prowess with nausea. Oh, wait, that's not it. You were talking about your little digital devices a while ago that you couldn't remember the name yeah, digital of. modes. Digital modes? Yeah, on my Raspberry Pi. Okay. Well, is that what you're going to talk about now? No. Okay. It's not. That's, that's, uh, Why'd you bring it up? Because we were talking about the login, the login program that you showed on your segment. I could use that to run digital from my Pi when you I'm could. gone. Oh, yeah, you could. <laughs> but you were going to say, 